Today is Tuesday, October 17, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Israel explains the path forward, a long war, and no occupation of Gaza. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. You can email us as well, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. Joining me on this Tuesday morning to get through the news of the cray, Billy Hallowell. Trey's off, hopefully back tomorrow. Billy, what's going on? I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well. No shortage of news for us to break down yet again. No, yeah, and we are going to start to um, look at some other areas. I know Israel has dominated the headlines here in the past week or so. And so we will start to take a look at some other things that are developing as well on the podcast today. But on the focus, we're going to take a look at this anti-Semitism that's popping up on campuses. Yeah, it's it's crazy, really, what's going on. We've seen images of these protests, you know, against Israel. And so Dr. Donald Sweeting from Colorado Christian University, he's going to break it all down for us, how we got here and where we're heading. Yeah. And on the main thing today, Billy, you caught up with uh, Joel Veldkamp and looking at the situation in Nagorno-Karabakh, that's something that is still developing. It is, and I think it's kind of fallen out of the headlines because of what's going on in Israel, yeah. and yet you've got 120,000 people in desperate need. All right, we're going to update you on all of that and more coming up on today's podcast. And first, we are going to get through the news here in 90 seconds. And U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu were sheltered in a bunker for five minutes yesterday when air raid sirens went off in Tel Aviv. That's according to a spokesperson over there. Israel's working with the United Nations as well to create a humanitarian zone in Gaza. This is part of the path forward. People were worried or complaining about a possible occupation. But Michael Herzog, who's an Israeli ambassador to the United States, told media that we're in the process of establishing a humanitarian zone, a big humanitarian zone in the southern part of Gaza with the UN. We're working very closely with UN agencies so that they will go there and have this humanitarian zone and they'll get essential provisions like water, medicine, food and things like that. We're operating under international law. He went on to say, and he added, that Israel does not intend to occupy Gaza after the conflict, saying we have no desire to rule over the lives of more than 2 million Palestinians. And Representative Jim Jordan from Ohio was nominated uh, by a majority of Republicans back on Friday to be the new House Speaker. He's facing an uphill battle, but did win the support of several key skeptics yesterday. That vote is planned to happen later today. Stay tuned to CBN News for details on the latest with Israel and more over at CBNNews.com. So, Billy, pretty I mean, interesting to hear this path forward because that's what everyone's asking. What is Israel going to do next? And to have that explicit statement there saying they don't intend to occupy Gaza after the conflict, very interesting as to what will happen because they're obviously intending on utterly destroying Hamas. 
Well, and the, yeah, that's the biggest struggle, right? If you don't occupy, how do you ensure that these terrorists are not being harbored there or taking over again there, right? Like, how do you do that? And I think that's going to be the big challenge. How do you know you've gotten rid of all of them even, right? To the point where yeah. you can pull away and not occupy for fear that they're going to, again, start attacking. Yeah. Yeah. You really can't know for sure. And that is something I've wondered as well as when you're letting people evacuate, how many how, how, what is their plan on letting some of these terrorists go and get out so that they're not caught up in the bombing? That's just something you're not going to really be able to know. And as we mentioned on the podcast yesterday, Hamas is actively not letting civilians evacuate. So it's just a horrific situation. But again, as we mentioned yesterday, the onus is on Hamas. They could surrender unconditionally if they wanted to put an end to all of this. And release the hostages now, which stand at 199, according to the last count. But they're not willing to do that, of course, because that's not what terrorists do. All right, we are going to head into the focus story now. And a college chancellor is sounding the alarm on this disturbing anti-Semitic rhetoric emerging on college campuses after that awful Hamas terrorist attack against Israel last Saturday. So what's happening here, Billy? Yeah, we sat down with Dr. Donald Sweeting. He's the chancellor at Colorado Christian University. So he's obviously serving at a faith-based college. Um, and he talked, as you were just saying, about why so many college students, why we're seeing these images of them protesting against Israel, supporting, even supporting Hamas, these very bizarre images and protests that we're seeing. And you know, he said, look, there's a celebration of Hamas on one hand, and that a lot of the college administrators are quiet about it. And we've seen this, right? at some of these colleges, it takes a little bit of time for the administrators to speak out. And I think there's, you know, there's a little bit of a battle that's going on here, right? You have colleges claiming that they want to be, you know, areas where people of different viewpoints can be present, while at the same time, when defending a terror attack happens, needing to sort of step up and say, we don't, we're not okay with this. This doesn't reflect the college. And so, you know, what Dr. Sweeting was saying was that the college presidents generally, again, are being silent. And he called that unconscionable. He said it reveals that we've really been teaching a lot of negative stuff. We've been promoting things in these universities that he said are, quote, bearing a bitter fruit. Yeah. And, you know, obviously it started out really favorable for Israel, right? People were shocked and appalled at what they're seeing. But over the week, you've seen a shift in tone. You've seen these protests happen, the day of rage. And now this rhetoric going on, what does he think is driving this rhetoric? He talked about, and this is really interesting when you get into sort of the ideological nature of what is going on or what he claims is going on on college campuses. He said there was a shift from secular liberalism to neo-Marxist worldview. And that basically meant that you, know, you sort of go from this liberal ideology, this secular ideology, into an ideology where everybody is sort of clumped into two groups, right? The oppressed and the oppressor. And through that lens which he would say was the neo-Marxist worldview, you have this situation where the Judeo-Christian tradition in Israel, things like that, they get clumped into the negative side of that as the oppressor. And then groups like Palestine and Hamas, they end up in the favored camp, right, of the oppressed. And so that's sort of the framework through which he is seeing what is happening on some of the campuses today. Um, and he said this is really obviously an inversion of reality, that, that when you're out there saying that the people who are attacking like Hamas are the, you know, the oppressed that you have the story 
wrong. Um, he obviously said something that we've talked a lot about on the show the last week and a half, that Hamas is committed to obliterating Israel, that they've got a call for global jihad, and that that too calls for the obliteration of, of Israel. So just an interesting way of sort of framing where things are right now. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I find the occupation thing, you know, the, the oppressed and the non-oppressed, who is oppressing innocent Palestinians in Gaza right now? Because it has not been occupied by Israel since 2006. And when Hamas won an election there, they've been the ones ruling that. So if we're going to go by that logic, I guess you could say that they've been occupied or oppressed by Hamas this whole time. But nobody wants to see in the media anyway, doesn't really want to see it that way. But Billy, how can parents sort of protect their kids from this sort of ideology? Because, I mean, a lot of you may have students at some of these universities or in high schools even where they're talking about this, maybe in a, a class, a current events class or something of that nature. Uh, what can parents do on that front? You know, it's really all about building a biblical worldview. You know, he talked about, you know, if you want to avoid the ideological chaos, if you want your kids to have a clear view of what is going on, you've got to teach scripture. You've got to teach the Bible so that you can see through these cultural lies. You can see through these false dynamics that are being created. And so he encouraged parents, and it's such a simple message, teach your kids the Bible. They're not getting that in most schools today. If you're going to public school, you're certainly not getting it. And so he felt very strongly that that that's something that we should be doing. And look, we've talked about Dr. Barna, George Barna, and other researchers that they have highlighted how little parents are preparing kids and how low the biblical worldview is, not just for kids, but for adult Christian adults as well. So this is a major area that we need to improve in, um, I think, here, especially if we want to make sure that people... not It's not just about this issue. It's about every issue. Are you seeing yeah. things through a clear lens, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to this issue, too, is get yourself informed on it. Because I mean, I have people asking me questions about, well, what's the history of Gaza and and what, why is this happening? And because the uh, framing in the media is often very powerful and effective. And this is why there are people out in the streets protesting against Israel right now, because they've bought in to. And then, again, not that Israel's perfect or they've never done anything wrong. Uh, it's not to say that, but the but the claims about this, like you were saying, the oppressor, the oppressed, are, are it's just honestly, it's comical on its face when you look at the history of the Jewish people. If you want to talk about somebody being oppressed, they'd be pretty much first on the list. Uh, but it, you know, they don't fall into that class, and so now people have to go around and they try to make it fit. They try to fit that you know square peg in the round hole. So anyway, I think. Not only having that biblical worldview, but also just informing yourself on what's going on in the history and studying it and paying attention is going to help you answer these questions better. Absolutely. You know, having the spiritual knowledge and then just the knowledge of what's go of what has happened, yeah. the history the historical knowledge. I think that is so lacking. Most people can't tell you anything about what has gone on with that land. They just know what they've been told, as you were saying, in media or maybe at at university. So it that's a big issue. Yeah, it certainly is. Appreciate you bringing that one to the podcast today, Billy. And we are going to head over to the main thing now. And with the Israel war continuing to dominate those headlines, the crisis in Nagorno-Karabakh has fallen out of the headlines. But Billy caught up with Joel Veldkamp of Christian Solidarity International to explore why the situation is still dire there and what's going to happen 
next. Here is today's main thing. Joel, because of what has been going on in Israel that has dominated the headlines, what has happened in Nagorno-Karabakh with almost the majority of the 120,000 people living there fleeing is no longer really in the headlines much at all. Um, So let's dive in because I want to make sure we, we stay on top of this story. What can you tell us about the current situation there? Yeah, as of two weeks ago, actually, virtually the entire Armenian population has left Nagorno-Karabakh. So this land that was part of the ancient Armenian Christian homeland for thousands of years is now empty. As you said, there were probably 120,000 people there before September, before Azerbaijan attacked. Today, there's less than 40 in, in the whole region. That, that's our best estimate. Um, so it really is a complete ethnic cleansing of the entire region. It's, they're gone. Um, what wow. really concerns us now is that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people that are still missing, and uh, the Armenian authorities are trying to put lists together, but the evacuation was so chaotic. People were running away from bombs. People were separated. There were lots of people who had their kids in schools when the bombing started, and then their kids were taken somewhere, and they fled somewhere else, and they don't know where their kids are. Um, so... So wait, as we speak right now, as we speak right now, there are families and children who have been still separated because of oh, yes. this. Oh, yes. Wow. Yeah. And some people we know have been kidnapped and taken to Azerbaijan. There's one, a man, a 68-year-old man who was actually kidnapped about a month before the attack. And um, he's now been put on trial in Azerbaijan for genocide, apparently because he served in the army of Nagorno-Karabakh, like every man has. Uh, so his trial just began a few days ago, and we've seen images of him sitting in a giant glass cage in the courtroom looking quite terrified. Um, but, yeah, for the rest, we don't know where they are. So this mass exodus of almost 120,000 people, obviously flooding, I would imagine, mostly into Armenia. What is happening? I mean, this is a massive some of people who is feeding them who is clothing them who is where are they staying i mean what do we know about those logistics because it was so chaotic and, and so quick you know the logistics are a nightmare um lots of people were and probably still are sleeping in their cars sleeping in the open air um the armenian government is providing some help um the last when i talked to one of my friends uh on saturday actually he told me that refugees from Artsakh are getting about like $200 per person, which is not nearly enough to rent an apartment or find housing. Um, the Armenian Red Cross is there. Armenian Caritas is there. They're doing a great job. Um, but yeah, the needs are just completely overwhelming. Armenia's population has increased by 4% in a week. And these are all people who left and left everything behind. Everything. Um, so this is going to be, it's going to take years to, to get these people back on their feet. I mean, yeah, and just so viewers and listeners understand, I mean, you think about somebody coming into your neighborhood and taking taking everything over. You have to leave with just what you can carry, and you've lost everything that you've worked for your entire life, and you have to go somewhere else where you haven't lived, and you have to start over again. I mean, it's unimaginable. What Do we know anything about what Azerbaijan is doing with this land right now, because now they've taken this land over, they've expelled everybody. What do we know anything about their plans? Any current activities that are going on there? 
Well, it's a good question because just yesterday, the president of Azerbaijan, the dictator of Azerbaijan, made an official visit to the capital of Nagorno-Karabakh. And um, he has lots of photos of himself walking around the city and the city is just empty. It's like a, a zombie movie or something. It's him. He's wearing a military uniform, even though he's never served a day in the military in his life. And he's just, yeah, like very pleased with himself. Um, they've renamed some streets in, in the capital city of Nagorno-Karabakh after the architects of the Armenian genocide of 1915. So like, just imagine for a moment if Germany were to conquer Israel, expel all the Jews there, and then rename the main street in Tel Aviv, Adolf Hitler Street or something. I mean, it's just... The... It's a nightmare. I mean, you used that word before. It is, it is a complete nightmare. It's everything you warned about for a year, <clears throat> you and many others, um, really sounding the alarm and... You know, we've talked about this, but the international community did very little to nothing to stop this and didn't even really, it felt at moments, even try outside of these minor gestures to create peace talks. But um, this seems like it could have been something that with some pressure could have been held off a bit more. W wouldn't you agree? Well, absolutely. I mean, well, as you say, no, no one really even tried. Um, it was extremely dismaying to see. Um, so the second day of Azerbaijan's attack, the UN Security Council had a meeting about the attack, and every single member of the council stood up and said, this attack is bad, it should stop, and then sat back down. That that was it. That was the entire... That was the entire... Well, and if you're not afraid, you're going to continue to push. It's like a, you know, a child. They'll push and they'll push and they'll push until there's some form of discipline or a parent steps in to stop them. You know, in this case, nobody stepped in to to stop this. And just so people understand, too, they may assume, oh, OK, great. Now these people, they've made their way into Armenia. They're going to start over and there's nothing more to worry about. But there are also fears that Armenia itself could end up coming under attack or an assault or that more pressure could come against them. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because that's a very big piece of this puzzle that I think hasn't been given enough attention. It is for sure. Um, both Turkey and Azerbaijan have a really big interest in taking southern Armenia and turning it into a corridor that will kind of link the entire Turkish Muslim world together. Um, and Azerbaijan state propaganda says that actually all of Armenia is Azerbaijani land and that they have to return to it. Um, so the threat of another war is very real, especially now that the world is distracted again with, with the crisis in Israel. But just a few days ago, um, Secretary of State Blinken had a closed door meeting with U.S. lawmakers and he told them, yeah, we're worried about this. We think this may actually happen. All right, Billy, thanks for that conversation there. Definitely have to keep people of Nagorno-Karabakh in our prayers as that situation continues to be on edge there. A, lo a lot of chaos going on around the globe so keep your prayers with everyone in the midst and in in harm's way because of these conflicts all right we're gonna have time on the pod here for one last thing we're gonna take a look at john 336 whoever believes in the son has eternal life whoever does not obey the son shall not see life but the wrath of god remains on him and i just wanted to bring that reminder today that uh, it's justice, God's justice that we need saving from, not some boogeyman out there that's trying to get us. And it's God who's just in all of his judgments. And since we're all sinners and the punishment for sin is death, that's what we right, rightfully should be getting 
but he provided a way for us to have grace and and payment for that sin through Christ on the cross. So uh, I just I just think that's a good reminder anytime. Yeah, no, it, it is. And, and also, there's no ambiguity here on what you need to believe to be saved. Right. It's yeah. very clear very what clear. you need to believe yep. in this scripture and many others. Yep, and thankfully, it's not a lot of hard work. <laughs> just place your faith <laughs> and your trust and repent of your sins, and there you go. So if you haven't done that, I would urge you to do that and consider that right now. No better time than right now. All right, that's where we're going to leave it on the podcast today. As always, thanks so much for being here with us. Get on over to cbnnews.com and faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. Lord willing, that creek don't rise. We will return tomorrow. God bless. See you then.